This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. Welcome to Season 6 of FOMO Sapiens. I am so glad to have you here as we think about what it takes to do things differently, escape the path, and pursue your own dreams and make them happen. And I have the perfect guest to talk about that, somebody who really did things his own way and did so in a very successful way. My guest today is the great Ian Schrager, who for over five decades, since the 1970s, has been achieving international recognition for concepts that have revolutionized the entertainment, hospitality, food and beverage, retail and residential industries. Now, few people, if any, have had the kind of impact he has had and his keen business instincts and his ideas about mood and feel and popular culture, which were honed in the 70s and 80s, came first from his nightclubs, Studio 54, and the Palladium, which he started with Steve Rubel, who was his business partner at the time. And then they turned their attention to the hotel business. They started Morgan's Hotel Group, Royalton Delano, Hudson Hotel, and many others. And more recently, Ian has launched two cutting-edge brands that are designed for the way we live and travel, if we're still traveling, a few of us are still traveling today, and those are the addition hotels with Marriott and public hotels. And as somebody who has been to a bunch of these over the years, when I got word that Ian was coming on the show. I totally fanboyed out. You will hear it in the interview. I was very, very excited. And because this is something that I personally, and I'm sure many of you have also sort of lived in his hotels over time. I remember when I was right out of college coming to New York City and I went to the Royalton on 44th Street between 5th and 6th. And it was the coolest place I had ever been. I didn't know places like that existed outside of television shows. And here I was living inside of Ian's brain in his better world that he creates for us. And so I just wanted to get inside of that head because he is somebody who mixes creativity with a real understanding of how people think. And the other thing about Ian, this is kind of amazing to me, is he's a very detail-oriented guy. Obviously, when you open an experiential hotel, you're making a ton of decisions. And they're, I mean, it's really anything, right? I would be terrible at this, but you're deciding about the napkin, but it has to also go with the uniform and it has to go with the music and the lights and the everything. And he does that, but at the same time, he's very decisive. And we all know people who are very good at details, but can't decide a thing or very decisive, but cannot deal with details. 
Ian does them both, and he will explain how he does that on today's episode. We're also going to talk about how somebody goes from the nightclub world into the hotel world, which I guess now that he's created the entire concept of the boutique hotel with the cool restaurant and all that sort of stuff, it makes sense. But at the time, it was revolutionary. And so we're going to talk about that because at the end of the day, Ian is an original, and I think we all have something we can learn from him. And if you love this conversation, and I know you will, don't worry, because there'll be more. I decided that this was so good after recording it that I decided to make it a double episode because in next week's episode, we're going to talk about creativity. So Ian is a super creative guy, and he talks about his process, and I found that super fascinating. And we also take some questions from listeners. We got a couple of questions in, and I love to ask questions that you send to me, and so we will answer those as well, and they're really good ones. Now, since this is the first episode of season six, I want to ask you a little favor. I am coming up with something new here, a new concept, and we're going to call it FOMO therapy. And on select episodes, I want to get some of you listeners on the show to talk about what's giving you FOMO or FOBO, and I want to solve your problem live on air. So if you have something that's causing you to have FOMO or FOBO, and you're willing to talk about it, and we don't have to say your last name, by the way, I just, I'm not going to buy one of those machines where it disguises your voice because... I just don't have the budget for that right now. So we're not going to do that. But if you're willing to come on the show for a quick yet meaningful conversation, reach out to me at letsconnect.patrickmcginnis.com and let's make it happen. And now onto the interview. So as I was preparing for this interview, people said, well, you should watch the movies about Studio 54. And I had to sadly admit that I had already seen a terrible film that came out, I guess, 20 years ago with Nev Campbell called 54. So don't go see that. It's not good. However... I also got turned on to watching this new show on Netflix, which is called Halston, who I didn't know a thing about Halston, but he was kind of this very FOMO generating designer way back when Studio 54 was hot. And so anyway, there are a bunch of scenes on the show that take place at 54. So I had a better idea. I mean, I have not been a Studio 54 because I don't have a time machine, but I got a sense of what it was all about. And so I wanted to start our interview by asking Ian about what I had seen and asking him what was the best memory he had from running 54? Well, you know, there were a lot of nights that were uh, very special to me. I think uh, that uh, I used to love of all the parties we used to throw. Uh, I guess my favorite night was Halloween because there was uh, no limitations, no restraint. We could do anything, anything your imagination comes up with. But I guess I'd have to say that my favorite night and the one I remember the most uh, is the opening night because we didn't know what to expect. Uh, and uh, people started coming in, and I was still working on a couple of things in the place that hadn't been ready yet. Uh, and uh, I had just gone and bought a suit that day, uh, like as if I was getting married, so I could wear uh, to the opening. Uh, and, uh, you know, after it turned the corner uh, and the crowd started coming in, uh, uh, about 2 to 30, I'd left, and I had gone home. Uh, and then I got a phone call from Steve Rubell, my partner, at about uh, uh, 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning, telling me that we were on the front page of the New York Post. That Cher was on the front page of the New York Post. Somebody took a picture of her uh, in a straw hat and jeans, overalls, uh, dancing at Studio 54. Uh, and uh, Steve was kind of calling me up to share with me the exhilaration that we did it, that uh, we're on the front page of the New York Post. 
which was like a little bit like Nirvana for us. Uh, and uh, never forget that joy um, that Steve had in his voice and that I felt, boy, we really did do it. Uh, so I have, I always have memories of that. Uh, then various parties on Halloween, and there was one New Year's Eve party where we put three tons of glitter on the floor, and uh, it was like you were walking in uh, uh, stardust. Everywhere you went, you were kicking up glitter. Uh, and uh, the glitter uh, was found in people's homes for six or seven months after that night because it was always it was on their socks and shoes and <laughs> and uh, and whatever. But um, I had many memorable nights. Of course, going through it, you know, we were like holding onto a lightning boat. So you know, the memories now are uh, much better than when I actually went through them. I've managed to get in some pretty hard doors in New York City and other cities. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say I, I might have been able to sneak in the door, but people were desperate to get in in the Halston show. You know, they chronicle the, a, a true story where actually somebody died trying to sneak in through like an air vent. People pulled guns on the doorman. It was about you created. I mean, what I love about your work, you know, starting then and I'm continuing on is you're the master of creating FOMO. You create environments that people want to be in. And I just think that that's like, that's a very special skill. So I just love to know, if you think about that, like what, how do you create like that kind of frenzy in a place? Yeah, you got the the New York Post, but like it wasn't continue. So many places come and go and you created this on a nightly basis. What 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 was it? Well, you know, it was kind of very honest and very uh, uh, naive about us. Uh, you know, we were exercising in the public domain the kind of judgment and discretion that an individual exercises when they have a private dinner party mm -hmm. or when they invite people over to their home. You try and invite people uh, that will get along with each other. Uh, you, If it's a dinner party, you try and sit somebody next to uh, somebody that's talkative next to somebody that's not so talkative. You know, to try and make a good evening, to try and have that kind of energy, that uh, very dynamic uh, uh, it, there's an alchemy that happens when you have the right people sitting next to each other, talking to each other. You know, there's nothing more boring uh, than uh, having a party uh, with a bunch of uh, similar people from the same backgrounds uh, because uh, the, the, the energy gets created by the diversity. Different people, different ages, different walks of life, and so on and so forth. And people got really pissed off. But, you know, we thought we were being really honest about it. It had nothing to do with wealth. Uh, it had nothing to do with, you know, where you came from. Uh, it, uh, it race, creed, anything. It just had to do with putting together a group of people that we thought would mix well together inside. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a spontaneous process. Mistakes were made. Only somebody like Steve was able to pull it off because, uh, but there was such an sincerity and an, an integrity about it. It was kind of anti-elite because that had nothing to do with money, uh, wealth. Uh, and uh, so we wanted to make sure a woman could go in there and not get hit on by a guy. We wanted to make sure that a celebrity could go in there and um, uh, nobody would bother them. Nobody would gawk at them. Nobody would go over them and ask them for an autograph. But, but I, I think the secret sauce was that when you did get in, uh, there was this feeling of absolute freedom. 
you could do anything you wanted and nobody cared. Uh, uh, nobody cared. And there are many places in life where you have that freedom. Uh, and I think that freedom to do and be who you want and do anything you want as long as it didn't hurt anybody or it wasn't illegal. Um, uh, let people let it all hang out. And I think uh, uh, the more you tell people they can't have something, uh, it's human nature, uh, the more they want it. But, but it wasn't a contrived marketing thing. It was just we wanted to have a great party. And uh, I, I refer you back to what Groucho Marx said about never wanting to be in a club that had him as a member. Uh, you know, it's a, I guess it's all a little bit like that. But it was done with an integrity. But the system itself, you know, has a lot of errors in it because it's very spontaneous. You know, I saw Steve out there separate husbands and wives. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, people wanted to get in there because they thought it was like uh, uh, the Emerald City uh, in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and they just wanted to get in there. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, it's sort of like you were way ahead of your time in terms of creating, yeah, it's hard to get in the door, but once you're in there, it's like everybody can do what the heck they want. It was very in a very inclusive environment, right? And the other thing is you just mentioned this freedom. And I think to like now, like there was no Instagram, obviously. You had some paparazzi, of course, but in, a, in, a, in an age now where no, nobody can do anything that isn't just like spread all over the place and there is no anonymity anymore. Like, do you think, I mean, do you think it's even possible to do something like that in the age of Instagram or do you have to change everything up? 
know, and it was just possible. You know, the one given you have is that human, the human condition doesn't change. The technology and fashions and everything else comes and goes, but the, but the human condition doesn't change. You know, there are places like in East Berlin, they don't let you take your telephone inside. Mm. Uh, they they confiscate it at the door. You have to put it in a locker. So, yeah, you might have to make certain adjustments. But if you don't provide that place where that that uh, absolute wild abandonment, almost like a tribal right, if you can't put people in a place like that, that you can really have that, then you're not going to have the kind of magic that studio act. So, yes, in the age of Instagram, you're not going to let Instagram in there. You know, in the same way, back then, we didn't let people in with cameras or photographers or newspaper people, you know, so you have to make certain adjustments along the way. But there are places like that in the world that function like that, like Ibiza, the clubs in Ibiza and like uh, the clubs in East Berlin. So, you know, a lot of people say in the age of Instagram, you couldn't do it again. And I don't agree with that. You know, I, I just don't agree with that because we're the same way now that we were 5,000 years ago. Uh, and uh, it's just a question of finding out uh, the fashion and how you're going to deal with it to create that that environment. I love that. And by the way, if you ever come to one of my parties, I, I have a social media ban because not only because I don't know, I just don't want people to know what the heck's going on. Not that it's all that crazy, but n number two, because it's just annoying if somebody's on their phone the whole time. So I, I like that a lot. And I think we can all learn from that. Now you moved on from studio and you, you moved into, you know, I, I talk about you being a master of FOMO and, and you have started more hotels than I think probably anybody out there starting with Morgan's hotel group, which included, you know, the Royalton where when I was a first year analyst in New York city, that's where I went to feel cool. I'd never, I'm from Maine. So like, we don't have things like the Royalton. I just felt it's so cool. I'm in my, black slacks and black shirt and the crazy bathrooms. And I just was like, this is a better life. And then I was doing business in Miami at the Delano. I stayed there in, in 1999. And I remember walking in the doors with those long curtains, the iconic, you know, that lobby and you stay in this room and there's like, it's all white, but there's this one green apple. And, you know, just like you did the Hudson hotel, which is another one of my kind of haunts in New York city. So, you know, you've just done this over and over and over again. And I'm curious you know, thinking about creating these really, I mean, you know, anybody who's been in one of your hotels just knows there's a feeling you get and it is, it's the same feeling, even though you're creating all these different environments. So how, I mean, it's hard to distill it into one thing, but take us through the process of, of creating a place like one of your hotels. Like what I just, it's a, to me, it's like, there's a magic there and I can't put my finger on it. Well, that's a very, very good question. That in all these years I've never been asked uh, to tell you the truth. Wow, uh, I'm honored. Uh, no, well, uh, you know it is. I could just tell you the process and the way you do it. First of all, it starts with an idea. Uh, it doesn't start with visuals. It doesn't start with design. You know, I consider design like the special effects in a movie. It makes a, a good movie great. It doesn't make a bad movie good. And so we kind of think about. Where is the zeitgeist? What's happening? What are people into? Where are they going? Uh, what do you want to introduce that they don't even know that they want yet, but that you feel uh, you yourself likes 
myself I like, and you're using that as a criteria and a measurement and hoping that other people also like it. It's the same thing I think every other creative person does. When Walt Disney was doing those animation uh, features, uh, that, that technique was available to a lot of other people, but he just put it together in a way that reached out and touched people and resonated with people. So we start out with this very kind of strong idea, and we know the way people like to move through a space and how a space is conducive. Uh, to creating uh, a platform for social interaction and meeting people without being uh, uh, too over the top about it. And then we just try and, you know, add all the elements together and keep adding the elements together. And an alchemy happens. We don't know when it does. Uh, We don't have a book. Uh, We don't have a destination in mind, but we feel it when it's ready. Uh, And I think every creative person functions that same way. They do what they themselves like. Steven Spielberg does the films he likes. Fashion designers do the kind of clothes they like. And then you kind of, no focus groups, no marketing studies, none of that. Uh, It's just, and then you're actually amazed that there are other people out there that also like it. And that, and you don't know, and you can't write a book about it, and you can't tell people if they say to me, "Well, I know why you're successful," well, have been lucky enough to be successful. I always say, "Well, tell me, because I don't know. I don't know why it is I I am." Uh, and um, so that's the process, and I think that process is, is is similar to the way every other creative person, you know, does things. Uh, I know fashion designers. They they edit their fashion collection by doing the windows in their stores. It's just the process of the way they kind of pull it all together. Uh, I know other fashion designers that do the music for the fashion show, which when you think about it, so irrelevant to what they're doing. But that's the mm-hmm. methodology they use for creating it. Some athletes have to put their socks on the left leg before they put them on the right leg. Everybody has their process. Uh, You know, for me, it's obsessive. I get, you know, I'm obsessing over every single detail because I never know what detail is the detail that puts something over the top. So therefore, every detail becomes a matter of life and death. And that's the way I've been uh, fortunate to be successful at it, doing it that way. Um, And so that's that's the way I do it. Uh, I never know if the lightning is going to strike when we open up something. Never. I'm one of those people that always feels I'm going to have a party and nobody's going to come. I feel that way too, by the way. That is how I feel all the time. Every time I do something, and I had somebody recently tell me, a friend of mine, he was like, Every time you do something, people show up. And I was like, you know, I always feel like nobody's going to show up. So it's good to know. (laughs) It's good to know that you feel that way too. Absolutely. Now you said a couple things in there that I want to get into that I really like. Number one, you talked about, you know, the detail oriented, the obsession over the details. 
And, you know, it, it's interesting because obviously you can't be, you cannot obsess to the point of never deciding. And you're a very decisive person. You've done so many different projects. And we talk about on the show a lot, the concept, the other foe besides FOMO is called FOBO or fear of a better option. It's like the idea that like, let's keep tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and you never really decide on anything. So I'd love to know you know, when you're, cause with like opening a hotel, I mean, the amount of decisions that you have to make from the layout to the fabrics, to the, the staffing, all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's a gazillion things you have to decide. How do you remain very focused on perfection without getting stuck in indecision? Well, sometimes when I was in the early part of my career, I used to be wandering aimlessly around the streets of New York City because I just couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to do here or do there. But I think in the very beginning, uh, I was always kind of uh, um, had the limitation of the financial reality. Uh, if you're going to do something and you want to tell people to butt out and you want to do it your way, then the only way you're going to get the opportunity to do that is by being successful at it. But I, I, I think that with the reality, so it has to be successful, not successful to make money, but successful in order to keep doing it. Successful so that you can keep chasing the ideal of doing something, uh, something great. And so that reality always did give me, you know, a parameter. It fenced me in. You know, I had a budget. I was going to run out of money. I have to make decisions by this time or else to think it'd be a bust. But as I've grown, you know, you get to a point where you have more, you have more wisdom, you have more confidence in your decision, you realize there's only a universe of certain possibilities that are available out there. And you, based upon the current information you have and the instincts you feel, you make the best decision possible under uh, the, the, the scenario that you're in. So it's, easy, it's so funny because it's a lot easier for me to now to work on a lot of different projects because I'm much more confident in making the decision where before I used to roam the streets. I couldn't, I, I was in agony. I couldn't make a decision and I knew I had to make the decision by tomorrow. I, I remember one time, you know, w with the Royalton um, uh, that, that you mentioned, I could tell you every one of these hotels that had those killer decisions uh, in, in the Royalton, um, Philippe wanted to use mirrors in the bathroom, uh, and uh, and uh, I was concerned that um, uh, people in America were too prudish uh, <laughs> to have mirrors in the bathroom, uh, uh, and uh, so I was agonizing over whether mirror or slate, mirror or slate, and it was. Then uh, I finally just. I remember calling up a friend of mine, a creative person, a very successful creative person, and, and asking her, and and I just, you know, I had to make the decision, so I just, I went with Slate, because I, I it was, um, it was risky. The, the, the mirror may have been more provocative, but it was risky, because I thought it might challenge people too much. So I went with the slate and there was a hotel I've done that doesn't have a bunch of those decisions. Yeah. I, I tell you as a, as a 23 year old from Maine at the Royalton, a Philippe Stark mirrored bathroom might've been like a bridge too far for me. I remember the slate. <laughs> now you also mentioned, um, you know, you never know if it's going to succeed when, when you do something, you, you open it and you're worried, are, you know, people are going to come. And I'm curious, 
I mean, you, you've had a ton of successes, obviously. We've just been naming all of these projects. Have there been, I mean, what's been a disappointment for you and why do you think, you, what, what went wrong? Nothing ever went wrong with a project that I've done. Uh, uh, thank God I can say that. You know, I never would have opened a project if I wasn't happy with it. Uh, I didn't think it was there. Uh, there's too much at stake. My whole reputation, uh, my own inner feelings about myself. Uh, so if it's not ready, I don't open. Uh, and if I'm not satisfied with it, I don't open. Uh, just yesterday, I was shown a project we're working on, and I didn't like the room. Uh, and so it was a little too late to make wholesale changes. So I have to come up with something that's going to get to the room to a point where I find it acceptable. So I, you just um, kind of feel it instinctively, you know, when it's there. It's a little bit like when you fall in love and you're a young kid and you ask your parents, how do I know when I'm going to be in love? Well, you know it when you get old enough. Uh, and I think it's the same kind of thing. You know, you just uh, feel it. But I've never, thank God, I, I don't know how I'd be able to deal if I ever did something that wasn't embraced by people and didn't touch them in some kind of emotional way. Because I'm my own focus group. You know, if I like it, I'm betting there are other people out there that also like it. And I don't know a creative person that doesn't use that criteria. Yeah, so it comes from inside. I mean, you take counsel and you like when you came to this decision about the slate or the glass, you call people who you trust, but you also have the conviction to know that you're going to make the bet on what you think is the right thing to do. I'm going to take all the input in it at the end of the day. And usually my rule of thumb is you keep asking everyone, you keep getting more and more and more confused. Then you sleep on it. You wake up the next morning and you just know what it is that you want to do naturally. And then I happened to read an article a couple of months ago that's saying in the sleep, your brain's still working. And that's why you see, see things more clearly in the morning. And so that's the way I'm so confused. Like, yeah, I, 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 the, everything's upside down. But you go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and you and and maybe it's not the next morning, maybe two mornings later. But then you, you you're feeling this is what I'm doing. I'm going with this. That's it. Yeah, you know those animals that when they're under stress, they they act like they're dead. They just fall over. That's how I am. When I have a decision or I'm stressed out, I just like literally fall asleep. And when I wake up an hour later, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. Well, that's just a great process. Really, that's a great process. FOMO. All right, FOMO sapiens. That is the end of part one of my interview with Ian Schrager. We will continue next week. We'll get into his creative process, which I promise is worth hearing. And we'll also talk about his new projects because guy doesn't stop. He continues to reinvent for the world in which we live and travel in today. So I will see you next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. 
Bum, bum, bum.